everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined, as always, by my co-host, Rob Dunham. How's it going, everyone? Ah, it's good to be back talking about movies for another week. Yes, we've got a packed show. In fact, we are going to get into some big stuff. Uh, we'll start off with a little box office update. Then we will head straight into our full review of The Batman, followed by our world-famous, always-anticipated, never-duplicated top movies of 2021. Yeah, no yes. one else does that. No one. Nobody. Nobody does yeah. this. This is, this is unique to our podcast. There's not even like an award show or anything. I think they would get on that. I know you'd think you think somebody else would pick up on this idea. Yeah. However, I will say that our list will be better. Yeah. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. I mean, considering that um, you probably will not have heard of 90% of the movies on the actual yeah. year end award list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the, this is the, I mean, let's be honest. This is like a, this is a people's slash populist movie podcast. As much yes. as we like to talk about the, <laughs> Um, thought behind movies and some of the implications when it comes to messaging and all that. Mm-hmm. We also do like popular movies, so yeah, you know, sue us, I guess. Yeah, it's this is this is. I, I would like to think that we occupy the space that can both elevate movies and still remain in the popular culture with it. Yeah, that we we've not gone so far down the rabbit hole that we cannot appreciate good fan. It's not necessarily wrong, something wrong with movies that make the most money. Correct. There's a reason why they make money. <laughs> yeah, and there's a reason why people want to go see them. And yep. there's a reason why people don't want to go see the other ones. <laughs> it is. But we'll get into some of that as we go along. We'll also do our watch list. Uh, all right, Rob, let's, uh, let's get into a little bit of the box office numbers. Uh, so this week, The Batman, once again, and its second week in the box office, uh, was number one by far, taking home $66.5 million. Uh, so now this is the point of the podcast where I brag about being more right than you. Yes. I yes. don't remember the exact numbers. So, so I have the exact numbers because I wrote them down last week. Okay. We predicted last week what the second weekend at the box office would look like for the Batman. Rob came in at 47.5 million and I came in at 70 million. So I was a little high, but yeah. I was much closer than Rob. And I think the one, the one article we saw estimated like 68. So yeah, it was pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was pretty close. I, I was I was pleased, and I think that that shows some of the staying power that you did not have as much of a drop off as we've seen in some of the other uh, releases, especially bigger releases since the pandemic. That the the drop off was not as stark for for the Batman as it has been for other movies. Uh, number two, Uncharted, nine point three million. Uh, and new entrance onto the box office at number three, BTS permission to dance on stage. So live viewing. Uh, that one was a surprise entrance. <laughs> I did not see that one coming, but apparently people wanted to go see it. So yeah, 6.8 million for that one in its first week. Uh, Dog made 5.2 million. Spider-Man No Way Home came in fifth at 4.1. Uh, so Rob, a- anything that sticks out to you from the box office? Um, I mean, 
Spider-Man No Way Home is still on the box office list. And it's also on the 2021 movie list. Yes. Which I think <laughs> that's all you need to know about Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah. 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 This, uh, this movie has been in the box office for over three months now. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, and it's still it's still rocking the top five. So yeah. that's uh, that's very very impressive, and it might still be in box office by the time you can purchase this movie. So that's, yeah, that is it is it's quite the run for Spider Man. That's that's for sure. It's it's amazing what that film has done. Okay, well let's uh, let's move on. Uh, opening this week, we have some. We have a variety of releases, and um, none of this is one of those weeks where you just kind of dump a bunch of indie movies out there um, that that are interesting in and of their own variety. Uh, so the first one is that's coming out this week is Jujutsu Kaizen Zero, the movie. Um, so this is another animated feature. Or not anime, not animated anime. That's the that's the appropriate term. This is another anime movie, and uh, this just continues the trend we're seeing of more and more animated anime. Man, I can't keep this straight. Anime films uh, having major box office releases and being carried in more and more theaters. So we're seeing the rise of anime uh, continue. Uh, so that is that film. Uh, the next we have the movie X. Uh, this one is a horror film uh, starring Mia Goth, uh, Jenna Ortega, Brittany Snow uh, would be a more known name. And this film is in 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas. But when their reclusive elderly host catches them in the act, the cast finds themselves fighting for their lives. Uh, so we have that one. And the next one we have is The Outlet or the outfit, sorry, the outfit. Uh, and now this one, this one seems interesting. This one has Mark Rylance, um, known for his Oscar winning role in Bridge of Spies. Zoe Deutsch, Dylan O'Brien. And this one is an expert tailor must outwit a dangerous groups of, group of mobsters in order to survive a fateful night. Uh, so that's the outfit. And lastly, we have Uma. And this uh, is a movie starring Sandra Oh and Dermot Mulrooney. And this is Amanda and her daughter live a quiet life on an American farm. But when the remains of her estranged mother arrive from Korea, Amanda becomes haunted by the fear of turning into her own mother. Hmm. Interesting. So this is another horror entrance. Uh, so we have a couple of horror movies. We have a drama and we have an anime movie. Uh, so Rob, what do you make of this week's uh, entrance into the box office? And do you have a favorite? Uh, I think that out of those four, Uma is the one I'd be most interested in hmm. going to see. Um, possibly X as well, but that's, that would be a little bit lower. I believe is I believe X is an A24. Yes, that is an A24 release. Yeah. And um, I've, I'm a big fan of A24, so it's possible I might end up seeing that. Um, but I, I wouldn't say either of them are super high on my list of like dying to go out and watch. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Uh, for me, it's the outfit. Um, I really like some of the performances Mark Rylance has given. He was excellent in. Uh, 
and like I said, the Bridge of Spies. He also had a, a really good role in uh, Dunkirk as well and some other films. Uh, so I really enjoy that. And I saw a trailer for this one and I was intrigued. I think I think there's definitely some potential in the outfit. So for me, that would be the one uh, from this week that I would lean towards. Um, of course, I, there's still a couple other ones in the box office I haven't seen, haven't gotten to. So I don't know if I'll get to it, but I, the outfit is definitely the one that I would go for. All right. Uh, well, that is a, a wrap up of our box office review and preview uh, for the week. Uh, make sure you go out and see some of these films. There's still a lot of good movies out in theaters and a lot of different varieties. So there's something for everybody out there. Uh, make sure you check that out. And we'll move straight on to our discussion topics. And first and foremost, as we promised last week, we will get into a full breakdown of The Batman. Uh, so we'll do like we normally do. We'll start out with uh, some brief highlights that don't include spoilers, uh, just to give you a taste of what we're going to get into. And then we'll get into the full breakdown, spoilers included, and we'll give you a heads up when that's coming. All right, Rob, initial thoughts on The Batman. Uh, I think I shared this briefly last week when we talked after I'd seen the movie, but my first overarching initial thought on the movie was just that it's, uh, the tone is incredibly dark. Mm -hmm. Like just, it seems like Batman movies just keep getting darker and darker. Um, I didn't think it was too much, but it was certainly not, um, not the Christopher Nolan movies. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not the movies before that. Yes, <laughs> that were lighthearted. Um, so that's my first uh, initial thought. My other initial thought is, I think Robert Pattinson did a good job as Batman. And this is going to sound—I I don't want to be—I don't want to sound mean. Yeah, like he almost was not necessary. Yes. <laughs> I I, I, I feel I almost feel like it could have been any number of people playing Batman and it wouldn't have made much of a difference. And I, I feel personally that that was not the case with the Christopher Nolan ones. I think Christian Bale Mm -hmm. did something to the Batman character that people have not done before him. Mm -hmm. But I did not get the same feeling um, watching Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, my initial thoughts are, um, yes, I agree with you that this is, the movie has a very dark tenor. It's not quite as dark as the Joker in my estimation. I didn't walk out, out of the, out of the film saying, Oh my goodness. Like I need to contemplate whether that movie should exist, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like I did with the Joker. Um, So it's not quite at that level, but it is, it is stark and it is dark the whole way through. Um, Length is a, is another key thing that sticks out in this movie. It was very, very long um, needlessly in my opinion, Uh, but we can get into that later. Um, And I agree with you. One of the things that sticks out about this is Batman almost as a sideshow in the movie. Like for a movie where you're introducing a new Batman, Batman has remarkably little to do in the film and has a remarkable, remarkably little impact on the film. 
And I think that is not a product of Robert Pattinson. I think that is a product of the writing and directing. I think Robert Pattinson was fine. Uh, but yeah, I, th I think, I think the role of Batman is something that we'll get into as, uh, uh it was a little questionable in this film. Um, I think, I think the, the villain, especially towards the second half of the film was excellent. And, um, I did enjoy, I did enjoy the overall feel of the settings, but we can get into that more too. Uh, anything else before we get into the specific breakdowns? Uh, that seems pretty good broad stroke wise. All right. All right. So this is your spoiler warning. We will now talk specifically about things that actually happened in the movie. So if you have not seen the Batman, you will want to skip ahead. You can look in the message notes and it will tell you when the next section starts that you can skip over. You have now been warned. Spoilers. All right, Rob, let's get into it. All right. Uh, do we want to? How do we want to start? You want to start out with things you liked about the movie? Do we want to get into uh, some of the things we don't like? What, where do you want to start? Uh, I maybe a mixture of both for me. Okay. I don't know. All right. <laughs> no, I think so. You said that um, you liked uh, the Riddler character, Paul Dano, and I agree with you 100. I think he was an excellent villain, but I was also frustrated, and I. I find it interesting that um, you said there's very little for Batman to do, but at the same time there, I felt like there was more focus on Selena Kyle yes. than there was on the Riddler. And I thought the Riddler was the better character by a lot, the more dynamic character, the more mm -hmm. interesting. Yes. And I wish they had spent more time on his story and explaining some of his yeah. motivations a little bit more because I found his, I found uh, his character intriguing, and I found um, how Paul Dano played him uh, impressive. Yeah, you you get lines of exposition about his motivations and where he came from towards the end of the movie. You get almost no development, which is much more characteristic of the Joker than it is of Riddler. The Joker's this guy who you don't know where he is and what he's coming from and what his motivation is. That so in, uh, it's almost like they took most of the characteristics of the Joker and played the Riddler that way. Which I know the Joker is a huge character, but they could have done more. And I think you're right. I think you could argue that Selena Kyle is the focus of this movie with the amount of screen time and the amount of things they gave her to do as opposed to Batman. Um, which I don't think was to the film's benefit. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there was too much focus on the family drama angle just between her and between Batman and the mob bosses and his family. Like yeah. it was an interesting um, way to tell that story, mm -hmm. but I think, I think we both agree they could have focused on other things and it would have made for a better movie overall. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you, what did you make of, what did you make of the actual character of Batman in this film? Um, just a couple things for me, like this was clearly detective Batman as opposed to crime fighting Batman, city savior Batman. Like this was detective Batman, which is fine in and of itself. Um, but 
I was shocked at the little amount that they really gave him to do. It's a lot of him wandering around yeah, and participating in things, but not, not doing a whole lot. I was, I was really shocked. They re- I thought they really undersold the Batman and really didn't give a lot of time to it. Well, the detective Batman, except for the one scene where he beat up an entire gang of people. Yes. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, I, what I took from that is, and they set this up with the scene right before that with the bat signal, that it showed that um, maybe it was at a point where he didn't have to do a whole lot because people are just scared of knowing he's a possibility. That's kind of how they set that up. Um, so it the timeline is interesting, too, because you're placing it essentially it's not the same Batman as Christian Bale's Batman, but it's after the stuff that happens with Christian Bale, I think for the most part, because Maroney's been busted in this movie. Um, Batman's an established presence. People are afraid of him. Um, So this was not like a Batman origin story because the movie started essentially in a place where Batman was already well known by everyone and mm-hmm. they were scared of him. See, and that, there's a little bit of mixed motivation in there too, because he says, Oh, by the way, they do set up that thing where people are scared of Batman. At the same time, he's like, is anything I'm doing working at the beginning of the film? He's like, maybe yeah. nothing I'm doing is working. So you yeah. have this thing where everyone's sort of scared of Batman, but also it's not really making a difference. So you can't really have both those two things. And they're trying to hold both of those things in tension. And I don't know that it works super well to set up the the stage. Yeah, I guess it's that they're trying. I I guess the reason why they did that is they're trying to set up like an origin for this Batman. Yeah. And and in order to have an origin for Batman, you need to have a conflict. Um, And I think it's a, with Batman, it's an internal conflict because of what's happened with his family in the past and crime um, being a main part of what happened to his family in the past. Uh, I I just, I really like, um, you know, this is the Christopher Nolan fan podcast, mm-hmm. but I, I like the time they took and the effort they took to show like where he was, where he went, how he became who he was. Yeah. Um, and they didn't really, they didn't do that at all with this movie. This movie was just like, here's Batman. Yeah. You know who he is. Yeah. And that's kind of why I made that comment that it didn't necessarily matter that Robert Pattinson was Batman because there was no development of that. Yeah. Character. It's just like, you know who this is. Mm-hmm. So um, you understand what he's about. And I mean, mo- at this point, most people do. Yeah. So, so my, my, one of my, one of my internal questions as I was watching this movie and after watching it, um, are we at, and this is like a very broad question, but are we at the point where since there's so much known about Batman, there's been so many versions of Batman. Is there, anything new to say about Batman. It's it's tough because I think this is one of the this is one of the challenges of constantly rebooting a known character. 
is how do you make it different? How do you differentiate from the previous versions? Especially when you have Batman that was so well done with Christopher Nolan and that those films loom so large over the character. Um, I think sometimes we go out of the way to do something different and it doesn't work. I think there is a, I think the motivations and the character of Batman is much more muddled in this film as opposed to the the clear lines drawn and the clear differentiation and the clarity around purpose and ideas and existence of Batman and what his role is so clear in the Christopher Nolan films. And I just think, I think it lacks in, in the Batman. And I think that's partially due to um, them. I don't think they, they really didn't treat it with the seriousness that the Batman character is. And I mean, this is part of the impact. It's like they've spent so much time on Catwoman that I think that more of that time could have been spent on, on the Batman. What did, uh, what did you make of the length? We'll talk about that. What did you, what did you think about the length of the film? So I didn't necessarily have a problem with the length by itself, but my issue with the length is everything that we talked about. Yeah, like it was this long. Why didn't they do some of these things that they could have done, and why did they choose to do the things they did instead? Yeah. So I I would say that's probably not an issue for me. Of the length the issue is more the editing, mm-hmm. how they chose to tell this story. I guess. Yeah, for me, the length is an issue um, for for several reasons. One, if I find myself checking my watch to see how far we're into a movie. Uh, which I did several times while watching this. That's not a good sign as to the pacing of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have both seen this. I mean, I thought this with uh, when I watched Bond. I thought this when I watched Dune. Like, these are long films that don't feel long. Right. This was a long film that felt long. Yeah. And and that, that speaks to something. I mean, you, for me, it used to be the two-hour rule. Like, if you're going to break two hours... Uh, you need to have a very good reason for doing so. That's changed a little bit. I would say more. it's more moved to about two and a half hours. If you're going to be greater than two and a half hours, you better have a darn good reason why you're yeah. going over two and a half hours. And I didn't think this one did. I don't think it was necessary that they went as long as they did, especially with then we still come out of this film feeling like we lack things. Like we lack knowledge of the Batman. We lack knowledge about the Riddler. And how do you spend three hours in a movie where you lack knowledge about two of the three most important characters in the film? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there was, there was definitely, and I think this has a lot to do with editing. I agree with you on that one. I think this was a lot of it was due to editing. Um, and it's just, it was like, Hey, we want to make something, you know, it's like, hey, if we make it long, then people will think it's epic. But what I think results in this is it makes it a much less accessible film. You're going to be much less likely to watch this on recurring times because of how long it is and because of how drawn out it is. You're going to less you're going to be less likely to engage with it in the future as a result of that. And I think that's something that that while not important to your initial viewing of it is important to where the film will fit in the long in the scope of of the batman franchise in terms of its longevity and its place in that in the canon so uh it seems pretty obvious that there will be another movie Mm -hmm. i mean based on how it's done so far and the fact 
what did you feel about the uh, the Joker reveal in prison? Yeah. Um, again, I think it, for me, my initial reaction is kind of similar to how I felt about a lot of the DC entrance. It's like, are we going to get any consistency from here? Like, are we... Are we going to get, is this Joker character going to be in any way tied to the film The Joker? Mm-hmm. You know, if not, then what are we doing? If it is, how's that going to work? How's that going to fit? Because they kind of tell, they kind of told slightly different storylines in terms of, because The Joker even had had a reveal about uh, the death of Bruce Wayne's parents that was different than what you saw in The Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, how so how does that work and if it's not the same thing with the joker then what was the point of the joker other than here's right. a movie uh, yeah. so that's that's my main question coming out of that is what are we doing in terms of creating some sort of consistency or are we just going to constantly reboot all the characters every couple of years yeah i think they're trying to create alternate alternate timelines so when you do that like right and quick succession it's just confusing yeah um it's uh the difference between that and what they did with spider-man is night and day Mm because spider-man there were three different spider peoples because they all had their own stories yeah you know and it made sense yeah um I don't know. This this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me what they're trying to do. And I think the Joker by itself as a standalone movie is maybe the best one they've done, but also is that really like did that so did that movie have have to be about the character of the Joker or could it just have been like a disaffected person? Like mm-hmm. Did it have to even be the Joker? Yeah, if you're not going to tie it into the larger, the larger world, the larger framework, then yeah, then it's 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 it. it I think hurts the overall longevity and appeal of that film as well. Um, I think, and this is this is where like one thing that I will give. Marvel wins when it comes to creating a universe and creating clarity around the story and the arc and where everything's going across multiple films. Marvel absolutely wins on that. DC seems like they're trying to elevate the film, each of the films, and trying to take that to a higher level of filmmaking. And that's more difficult. Um, It's ambitious. And I think on some aspects, they succeed. I think in, you can make the case that uh, individually, a lot of these are better films than a lot of your Marvel movies. Uh, but they lack, they lack a cohesiveness and they lack a clarity and they lack a, uh, a vision across time that Marvel uh, has succeeded on. So while the mar- individual Marvel movies may be less in terms of stylistic cinema, uh, they they win on clarity. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that the cinematography in this movie was fantastic. Oh, what it was so good. Um, 
but yeah, going back to the character of the Riddler, like to me, it just seemed like there was short shrift placed on the motivation of the character because when you got to the climax scene in prison where um, Bruce Wayne is talking to him and he said, oh, you're not as smart as I thought you were. Like, to me, there was... There, there, like, there weren't any clues earlier in the movie that would make that moment be like, oh, I totally get, like, what he was trying to say and do. Yeah. It was like they revealed everything in that moment instead of actually building to it. And if they built to it, it would have been a way more powerful moment. Mm -hmm. I felt like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing you got was that he was leaving letters for the Batman. The whole Mm -hmm. thing. And this brings me to actually one of the specific points that I really, really didn't like. Um, The Riddler, as he's killing people, every single one of the times he's attempting to kill these corrupt people, he does it personally. You know, he shows up in the in the was the police chief's mansion mm-hmm. and kills him directly. He shows up in that guy's car and directly puts a bomb onto him. Then we get around to where he's supposedly going to kill Bruce Wayne. He mails him a bomb. Like right. it's a completely different MO that's not remotely connected to his character. And I mean, you obviously have to know that a billionaire is not opening his own mail and sorting through his own mail. Like it was just completely out of, it was completely out of character. And it's one of those things where, okay, you know, we're doing this so that we don't have to have a scene where he's attempting to kill him this early and where it can provide, you know, we get messed up. You mess up Alfred will provide more motivation for Batman. Like it was just clear that it didn't fit the character and they were just doing it for the story elements. So that really bothered me that, that, that was not fitting with the Riddler character and how, what has he been doing the whole time? Yeah. I think overall, um, I think it's fair to say we would probably both say maybe this can be a final statement on it. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think there's it's necessary to talk super long about it, but, I think we both there were there were aspects of this movie that made both of us want it to be better than it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it I will say this, it it got off to such a good start for me because I love that opening monologue. It was very Sin City like. Mm-hmm. And you're getting that great film noir cinematography, the the eighties, like the gritty eighties New York City feel and that monologue over top. So like, okay, we're off to a good start, but you're right. There's just a lot that lot that left us to be desired. A lot left on the table. Okay. All right. So let's move on and we will talk about our top films. Okay. Let's get rolling. Our top films for 2021. So we promised we'd do this. This is the film for fans. And how we'll do this is each of us will will uh, give our personal list. And then on the filmforfans.com, we'll, we'll do like a combined list that kind of ranks our things. And those will be like the official film for fans recommendations for top movies of 2021. Um, so Rob, let's get started with, uh, we'll do it reverse order. So we'll, let's talk about our honorable mentions. Uh, okay. Films that, uh, films that didn't quite make the cut. So I think I have 
two honorable mentions. Um, both did superbly well in the box office. Both were very big movies. Um, they, I enjoyed both of them immensely. They just didn't quite make my top 10 and one or both of them may have made yours. I don't know. Um, but they are Jungle Cruise and Black Widow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought they were both really well done. Um, I think they're worthy of being included, at least in honorable mention sense, in a list at the end of the year. Uh, I don't think either of them were mailed in or lazy. Um, I was impressed with Black Widow and also impressed with uh, Jungle Cruise, the performances, the cinematography, um, just the stories in both, too, I thought were well executed. Uh, Jungle Cruise especially being about a theme park ride. I mean, you've seen this with Pirates of the Caribbean, so yeah. it's not a surprise that they're able to do it, but I was impressed by how they handled that, and I thought it was a solid movie. So honorable mentions, Black Widow and Jungle Cruise for me. Okay. Yeah, actually, neither one of them made my list. Hmm. Uh, so my honorable mentions include, I've got five of them, include uh, A Quiet Place Part 2, which was... It was quite a good movie, especially for a sequel to a horror movie. So I enjoyed it, but not quite on the list. Uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, I thought it was fine, but that's it. <laughs> um, the Tragedy of Macbeth, which was a, a Apple, Apple TV Plus release, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, Old, the latest from um, M. Night Shyamalan. It's a quality film. And Ghostbusters Busters Afterlife. Uh, it was a solid film, uh, and I thought it really, really achieved a lot considering the legacy that it had to do and having to overcome the failure of the previous <laughs> Ghostbuster film, but didn't quite make the list. So those are I don't my think the previous, the previous Ghostbusters film has joined uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for me in movies that don't exist. So, <laughs> Yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. Okay. All right. So that's our honorable mentions list. Uh, so let's do this. We'll do, um, we'll do our list, uh, 10 through 10 through six. So we'll each go back and forth on our list of 10 through six and, and talk about those a little bit more in detail. So we are, so am I listing all my 10 through six in a row here? Yes. You can list all of them and then talk about them as you see fit. Okay. Uh, so my number 10 was Candyman. Okay. And uh, number 10, also uh, an interesting thing about Candyman, and I think the reason why it is included in my top 10 list, there's more to it than just I liked the movie, although I liked the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, my my good friend, Jen, and I have been going to see some scary movies because my wife doesn't like them and her <laughs> husband doesn't like them. <laughs> And I've liked scary movies for a long time, but never had anybody to actually watch them with. And so there is some kind of uh, emotional impact on this Mm. picking this as number 10, because it represented something to me this year that I have not had for a while. Um, But I really enjoyed the story. I really like um, the overall stories by Stephen King. I like this movie. Um, I thought there were some very interesting scenes in this movie how it was shot one in particular that I mentioned when I first saw it, uh, there's a fight in the bathroom and there was a compact mirror on the floor and they 
focused in on the mirror and the mirror mm-hmm. showed the fight, which was really like, I just thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And some, and I was impressed by it because it was a higher quality kind of idea than I've seen in some other horror movies. Okay. Interestingly enough, number nine is also kind of a horror movie, but a little different because it's more psychological horror than it was straight up um, like violence or gore. There's some in it. it was last night in Soho hmm. uh, with Thomas and Thomas and McKenzie and Annie Taylor Joy. Yeah. Um, this was directed by Edgar Wright, who I love. Uh, <laughs> obviously, a part of the trilogy with Simon hmm. Pegg and Nick Cross as the director there, baby driver among others. And he's probably one of my favorite directors. And I think he did a fantastic job with this movie as well. And it tells a story about uh, a girl in the present and a girl in the past and their lives coming together. And you figure out what's going to happen at the end. And I just think it was really well executed. Um, Number eight on my list was free guy Mm. with Ryan Reynolds. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just enjoyed the heck out of this movie. Yeah. I actually just watched it again last week and it is hilarious. It is really, I, th- I think it does a fantastic job at being incredibly referential to video games, but also accessible enough for people who don't play video games to mm-hmm. find it funny, yeah. which is a hard line to draw. And I really like Taika uh, Watiti's character in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's an absolute over the top megalomaniac and it's great. Um, Number seven, I have Mitchell's versus the Machines from Netflix, mm. which uh, is my only animated movie on the list. Okay, um, and I think it was the best animated movie of the year. Sorry, Encanto fans, <laughs> um, but uh, it had heart, had a really good story, was funny. Um, I was very surprised by this movie and enjoyed it a lot. That's why it's number seven. Number six for me is the previously mentioned Spider-Man: No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Um, I could argue that it could be higher on this list for sure. Yeah. Uh, but for me, there were just some that I liked more. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I love uh, what they did with the storyline in this movie. I love how secretive it was going into it, how we had mm-hmm. all this tension, how they didn't reveal things. They didn't ruin things ahead of time. Yeah. Um, I love how Andrew Garfield just straight up lied about it for a straight year. <laughs> Yeah, even to his <laughs> friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, sit, saying it's number six on my list is not a slight against it at all because it it, it easily met my expectations of what it would be, mm-hmm. um, if not exceeded them. Yeah. So it's certainly worthy of being in the top 10. And I think that you could really make an argument for being for it being anywhere in the top 10, depending on who you are. But for me, it's number six. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, so for me, this was one of the hardest lists I've had to do, uh, probably because I thought there were a number of good to decent like films and not a ton of great films. Uh, so that made it very, very difficult to like pick in between, like, especially for the bottom 10. It's like, how do I separate any of these these films it's it was it was very difficult so my rankings for the bottom five uh take a little bit with a grain of salt but um number 10 i had the wrath of man uh the jason statham heist film which i thought was a 
was an interesting gritty action film that was much much better than what i anticipated it being it seemed like a little bit almost like a throwaway film but it had an it had a lot more substance to it uh than i was anticipating and i enjoyed it far more than i thought it would uh so uh, wrath of man comes in at number 10 for me uh number nine is reminiscence uh this was one of those dual release between hbo uh, Max and the theaters, uh, starring Hugh Jackman and uh, um, Tandy Newton and um, uh, Rebecca Ferguson. And I really, really, really love the visual world they created, um, the colors and the and the lights and and the the settings and the sceneries. Uh, gave really really uh stark contrast to the to the emotions of the of the of the film so i i really enjoyed this more than i thought it was um i know it was panned in some circles but i i, I personally really enjoyed it so reminiscence at number nine number eight i also had free guy uh so it was interesting we lined up precisely on that one uh, again, just a fun, entertaining film that had uh, a lot of cool elements and uh, the augmented reality type type of feel to it was really cool. And you are right in that they did a good job making it accessible to non-video game people. Uh, the only downside is like there is an age limit to this film. <laughs> Probably if you are over 50, this would be really, really difficult to understand. And we've seen some hilarious videos of like older people coming out of this film. Like, what did I just watch? I don't understand. <laughs> so there is a little bit of an age gap to it, but it's still at this point, like, I mean, we are talking like, if you're over 50. So, I mean, there's a lot of people under 50 in the U S so there's still a wide swath for this. Yeah. Film. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is still always Ryan Reynolds and it's hard not for him not to be Ryan Reynolds, but he's great. Like he's really great at what he does. And, and so this film was fun. Um, probably the most fun film I saw this year was free guy. Uh, number seven for me, nightmare alley. And I know this will probably be much higher on your list. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the visual, the visual world that was created and the acting performances were really good. Uh, Guillermo del Toro always knows how to create a world. That is one thing he is. He gets you into, into the realm of whatever setting he's creating very, very well. Uh, so liked it. Uh, number six, the little things. Uh, this was another one of those dual HBO, uh, releases and, uh, the performances, uh, were were good i love a good murder mystery movie and there was a lot of intrigue and watching the characters develop um and the stark nature of rami malik's character as he goes as he goes along and you see the progression that goes forward uh really made this film for me and uh yeah so that's my that's my uh 10 through 6 uh, so number five for me is actually one that was one of your honorable mentions and that's Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, the reason why this is so high for me is one, I think, um, it did more than an adequate job of making up for the previous movie. I think it like erased the previous movie. I agree. Which yeah. is an accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a little bit of an emotional um, tie into this one too, as it was directed by Jason Reitman, um, and his father produced the originals and just passed away this year. Um, to me, there's, there's some emotional resonance with that, that 
um, lends some more meaning to it to me. Um, I really, really love how they ended this movie and how they pay tribute uh, to Harold Ramis because um, that was one of the one of the frustrating things about the last one was it didn't feel like it was in any way tied to all the other movies before it. And this, um, I said this one we first talked about when it came out, honestly, this movie is a love letter to the original Ghostbusters. Yep. Um, if you like the original Ghostbusters, there are so many things in this movie and um, it can be really, really hard. when We've talked about this for a movie to pay tribute to another movies in the same series without it being over the top and pandering. Yeah. And I felt like this movie is one of the better examples I've seen of being able to reference previous movies without it feeling that way. It felt genuine. Um, everything seemed like it happened for a reason. It wasn't just like, oh, look, here's this thing from the other movies because like there was a reason for all the references to the previous movies. Um, I just think they did a really good job of building that that um, storyline and that place. Um, do you want me to keep going through my top five then? Yeah, switch over the top five. Okay, so that was five. Number four, um, uh, No Time to Die. Um, James Bond. Uh, may, uh, you could argue that this is too high, but after what happened with um, Spectre, uh, how good this movie was, mm -hmm. it deserves uh, some credit for me because I like James Bond and I was really <laughs> upset yeah. how Spectre went. Yeah, and uh, this did such a better job at being a James Bond movie, an original movie. Um, Rami Malek's character in this was fantastic as well. Um, he had a good year, I think. Yeah. Um, so no time to die at number four for me. Number three, I had Cruella with Emma oh, Stone. Okay. Um, if a movie can make you actually care about someone that you've hated your entire life. <laughs> There is something to be said for that. And the way that Disney retold this story in this fashion impressed me. Um, I also have to say as a music person, the soundtrack is a big reason behind why I have this rank so high because it was just loaded with 60s, 60s and 70s, like classic music. Mm -hmm. And um, all the songs seem to fit what was going on as well, which is important thing we've seen in some movies before like the not the suicide squad that just came out with the one before that it was just like here's popular songs for no reason yeah like they don't have anything to do with the story we're just gonna throw them in there <laughs> um and this movie had songs that are absolutely like hits from that era but there was a reason for them um so you were correct about nightmare alley it is number two on my list uh um so i love Guillermo del toro and uh just really like both versions of this movie, the um, regular one and the black and white one. Mm -hmm. um, I thought the performances were great. I love how the movie ended. Um, I really like Bradley Cooper's character in this movie. Um, yeah, so Nightmare Alley. I was anticipating a lot from it, and to me, it lived up to that. And number one, I will be surprised this is not your number one, um, but my number one was Dune. Mm -hmm. And I just think that if you want to look up what an epic movie is like Dune was the definition of that. And there have been so much expectation and anticipation and hope for this movie. And I think it 
exceeded everything that I had hoped it would be. And I'm really glad there's going to be more. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a tragedy if it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Good list. Good list. Um, for me, the one I was not anticipating on your list was Cruella. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. That, that was interesting. Um, so the top five for me is coming in at number five, the green Knight. Um, this is probably the most controversial film on this one. Uh, it's another A24 release. And this is a movie that I will firmly acknowledge has big flaws to it. Um, but what they did was so different and so unusual. And it was such a, it was such an incredible piece of engaging filmmaking that just has you like, okay, what, what is happening? How is this happening? What do we do with this? What is this? It was such an engaging film and it was so different. I mean, it, in a word, like the film is so stark. I mean, it, it very much tracks with so, several other A24 films. Um, you can even see like some of this in, in the tragedy of Macbeth, the way they set up the scenery and the, and the settings. Uh, but it was so, it was so engaging and different that I, I had to put it on my list and I've come around to the fact that I actually do really like this film. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was one of those was like, okay, that was, that was something. Now, what do I think about it? And I've come around to being on the side that I actually really like it. Uh, number four for me was the French dispatch. Um, always, always a, a big fan. Uh, and it's just, it's a classic, it's a classic film. It's, you know, it's just, I mean, the, what's, what's so different about like, um, his movies. And of course we're talking about Wes Anderson, uh, is almost no movies have like a central focus focal point. Like everything in his is staged from the center on out, as opposed to uh, on one of the angles, uh, like so many other films. And so it's just so different when you see it because everything is staged from the middle on out, uh, along with his classic, his classic tribe. So, um, you know, classic Wes Anderson film, another good addition. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, number three, I had Spider-Man No Way Home. And uh, we've talked extensively about Spider-Man No Way Home, but the, the biggest thing for me about this movie is it redeemed the schism that was the three different Spider-Mans and how, everyone, how, how that went and played out and how that did. It just redeemed it, tied it all up together in a, in a bow and couldn't have done it any better. Um, and so having accomplished that, um, really, really, really made a huge difference. Uh, so that that is what I've got for number three. Spider-Man was excellent. Uh, and for me, the two best films of the year uh, were No Time to Die and Dune. And I have them, uh, No Time to Die. I went back and forth on which one I wanted at number one, but No Time to Die is number two and Dune is number one. Uh, no Time to Die, um, at you know, between the disparity between Skyfall and Spectre, it was like, I don't know, I don't know which of the realm it's going to fall into. And the fact that it fell much more towards Skyfall, um, the emotional weight they gave to the Bond character without compromising who Bond is, was a real triumph. I mean, there were just some unreal scenes in this film uh, from a cinematic standpoint, from a from a, a tension standpoint, I mean, some of the most tense scenes you've ever seen in the Bond film 
like that opening with Remy Malik and him appearing in the door to like the scene with Blofeld, uh, where it's like, is he going to touch him? Is he not going to touch him? You know, that, that whole tension back and forth, um, as well as just the emotional weight and the fact that they just went straight for it. And like, we're killing, we're killing James Bond <laughs> and they didn't, they didn't soft pedal it. They didn't, they didn't do it. So I just thought it was an epic piece of filmmaking. One of the best bond films out there. Uh, but for like the third time in like five years, a Dennis Villanueva film is the top film for me. <laughs> I mean, he's so good. He's my number two director. So doing it. Number one. Um, the only reason why I hesitated putting it this number one is because it's honestly, it's half a film. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was done that intentionally, but it was half a film. So in some ways it's hard to give number one to a film that doesn't resolve. Um, but the epic world he created, the way he was able to take something so dense and so complex as the Dune universe and tell so much of it visually without having to get into long stretches of dialogue and exposition uh, was just something that very few directors can pull off well. Um, the way he took the character seriously and and the the cinematography and the filmmaking in this is just second to none. I mean, Dennis Villanueva is the guy that you go to if you want to create an epic world in modern cinema. Um, you know, it, it used to be a number of other directors, but there is second to none in terms of Dennis Villanueva, in terms of the guy you want directing an epic. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Awesome. Good stuff. Uh, so that is our top 10 list and we'll be posting it on filmfans.com. So make sure that you check that out in the coming, uh, in the coming days. Uh, hopefully it should be up by the time that uh, you listen to this. Uh, so lastly, we'll go real quick through our watch list movies we've watched over the past week and give a short review of them. Rob, what'd you watch? So I watched a few movies again, so I'm, I'm not going to really talk about any of them. I'll mm-hmm. talk about the one that I saw for the first time. And that was uh, the three, five, five, which mm-hmm. I got out of Redbox and watched with my wife. Um, it was better than I, anticipated okay i don't think it was great but it was a far better action movie than some other action movies have been recently that uh involved a female cast Mm -hmm. um there was like reasoning behind what was going on um i felt like the characters had good motivations there was good uh emotional weight to the movie um i don't i don't know if there will be like follow-ups they set it up for there to be one as they typically do with movies these days um but i thought that uh each character had their own part to play there was a reason for each character to be in it and um i enjoyed it so if you want to watch a good uh action movie a little bit different feel than maybe some of you have seen before uh 355 is definitely not a bad place to look mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, for me, I watched two, uh, one that's a newer movie and one that's, a, it's a, an older one. I watched the older one was rain over me, um, classic between Don Cheadle and, uh, and Adam Sandler. It's one of Adam Sandler's best performances. 
uh, especially because there's not really a humor element to it. It's a, it's a very serious movie about a guy whose family was killed in the plane crashes of 9-11 and just the fallout of what's happened to him and as his friendship. Uh, what stuck out to me about watching it, I've seen it several times, so what stuck out to me this time is the development of Don Cheadle's character throughout the movie because the focus is on trying to help Adam Sandler's character deal with the death of his family but you what you see is you get a great character development from Don Cheadle over over the course of the movie as he is a character with flaws and watching as his interaction his friendship with Adam Sandler actually changes his character as well which is which is really cool and I something I didn't remember picking up on as intently the first time I watched it uh the other one I watched was a new movie called the Hyperions uh, which is uh, starring Carrie Elwes and Penelope Mitchell. Um, this is an interesting one in that um, the the news service Daily Wire has uh, started a movie, uh, basically a film collection, as it were. They've been buying up they've been buying up movie scripts and um, creating their own movies and then debuting them on YouTube. And hmm. then, and then um, anyone can watch the debut on YouTube, but then it's behind their paywall afterwards. Uh, so this was a film they acquired that uh, had basically been rejected by other studios. And so it's uh, Carrie Elwes, Penelope Mitchell, and it's a it's a superhero movie of sorts. Uh, basically, Carrie Elwes plays a professor who creates uh, these Titan badges that give you a superpower that give people a superpower. So he takes these kids who are basically like orphans and gives them a superpower and they become these superheroes uh, originally in 1960. And then you fast forward to 1979 and you see uh, Penelope Mitchell's character attempting to break into a museum to steal her Titan badge back. Uh, So there's a lot in this about, about the role of family and, and specifically how, how Carrie Ellis's character had become like a surrogate dad to these kids and how he'd let them down and then trying to redeem that, that father relationship. Uh, so it, it's an interesting movie. It's, it's definitely, it has like the late seventies period piece feel. Um, but it's, it's an interesting, engaging film. It's kind of a superhero film. It's kind of a drama. There's a little bit of comedic elements to it. Um, the director, John McDonald, did a really interesting job with this. And, uh, and so I, I actually kind of enjoyed it. All right. Uh, so that is all the show we have for you. And uh, thank you for tuning in to Film for Fans. Check out filmforfans.com. And uh, we will have up our list of movies. And we'll continue next week. Uh, we'll talk about the Oscars and, and give our take on those. Uh, until next time, enjoy the movies.